I was so into that song, I forgot I was next. <laughs> Good morning again. Please turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. Our sermon text this morning is 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 18. Though we'll definitely focus more on the first half of that section, we'll touch on the second half and then come back to it next week. Let's pray together before we read. Our Father, we, we thank you for your promise to be with us through trials, as we just sang about. Uh, we thank you for that promise in Isaiah. We thank you for that promise throughout the scriptures. Uh, we thank you for the words of Jesus, that he would be with us always, even to the end of the age. And we pray, Father, that you would be with us right now, that you would uh, be with me as I speak, that you would give me words uh, to say, that I would proclaim your word. We pray that you would give us hearts to receive what is said, ears to hear it, minds to understand it, uh, that we would uh, trust in Jesus afresh this morning, that we would rest in his grace and mercy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. There is little worse in life than rejection. Now, I know some of you are thinking through a mental list of things that are far worse than rejection, uh, but hear me out. The, the child who is made fun of on the playground, or the teen who has to sit alone in the lunchroom, or the wife who is abandoned by her husband, or the employee who is told that he just can't hack it in his field and he needs to move on, our hearts sink when we are rejected. 
And it comes in so many different forms. Uh, the, the subtle sneer or the cutting put down or that great big F on a paper that you gave your all to. Rejection crush, crushes our soul and crashes into our once tender hearts. You know, the old nursery or rhyme or children's rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names can never hurt me or words can never hurt me is profoundly wrong. And there's a reason for this. We were made for intimacy. We were made for the the approbation of our Heavenly Father. We were made for praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. We were made for a place in the Father's house and a seat at the Father's table. We were made for acceptance. And we need the declaration that we belong, that we fit in, that we're all right. But something happened. And we know that we're not all right. And since sin entered into the world, I, I think we're a bit touchy. We, we, know, uh, we need to know that we are accepted and loved despite our sin. And rejection, even the smallest rejections, cut us deep. This morning we're going to answer the question, how ought we respond when we are rejected? Or maybe better, uh, how does the gospel speak into our rejection. And Peter is specifically thinking about the rejection of Christians, uh, the rejection of Christians for the sake of the gospel. And so our, our outline this morning, there are five points. We'll talk about the cause of rejection, the cause of our rejection in doing good, our preparation for rejection, which is found in community, our temptation in rejection, which is to respond in kind or in fear, Uh, The principle that we need to apply when we're rejected or what we need to remember when we are rejected, that blessing actually comes through rejection. And our response to rejection, which is to bless our enemies and to honor Christ. And uh, we'll talk about that this week, but really we'll pick that up and talk about it more next week. As we talk about rejection this morning, I want you to think about maybe an area of your life where you have been rejected, maybe for the cause of Christ, or maybe just a place that you feel insulted or unwanted or unloved. And I want you to consider your pain and how the gospel speaks into that, and then how to respond in light of the gospel. And really, here's where we're going with this. Uh, Christ was rejected at the cross, that we might find acceptance with the Father. And Christ was accepted in His resurrection, that we might be accepted in Him in the confident hope of the resurrection life to come. And what this means is, because Christ suffered and was raised, the way to respond to insults and hardships is neither in kind nor in fear, but in in confidence and in blessing and in witness. But first, the cause, the cause of our rejection, the cause of rejection, doing good. Uh, You know, 1 Peter is a book written to sojourners and exiles, uh, people who don't fit in. And the the truth of the matter is, people don't fit in for lots of reasons. Uh, One pastor talks about the the difference between being crazy for Jesus and being just plain weird. And uh, sometimes people think they're being rejected because of their faith, right? Their central and controlling commitment to Jesus. But it's, it's not that they're consistently working out the principles of the Christian faith in their cultural context. It's just that they're weird. 
he says. Uh, they, they don't fit into their cultural context at all. Uh, they're not modeling before the world what it would look like to, to be a Christian in this time and in this place. They're just weird. And he says our goal is actually to fit in everywhere we can and then draw clear lines where we can't. Another reason uh, some might be rejected is, is because we're not nice. Right? We, we can't take that off the table too quickly. Sometimes we say, oh, they, they just didn't like me because I'm a Christian. Maybe they didn't like you because you were rude. Right? Sometimes it, it's not our Christian faith, but the way we present it, that's the problem. Our actions don't back up our words, and people are turned off not because of the message, but because of the messenger. Now, Peter is recognizing that, that rejection will come. Now, in his days, most Christians did not face outright persecution, not yet. Nero was not yet lighting Christians as lamps in his palace or throwing them to the lions. But Christians did face social rejection. In in chapter 2, verse 12, Peter says that they were spoken against as evildoers. In chapter 3, verse 9, he says they were reviled. In 3.16, he says they were slandered. In 4.4, he says they were maligned. In 4.14, he says they were insulted. And so they they weren't burned at the stake, and they weren't stoned to death, they weren't thrown in jail, but they were reviled and slandered and maligned and insulted. There were moments of isolated persecution, certainly Paul experienced much of that, but for the most part, the Christians just faced social rejection from their peers. Now, why were these Christians rejected by those around them? Well, I'm sure the answer is complicated. Maybe some were a bit odd. Maybe some were rude or haughty about their faith. But in 2.20, Peter says some suffered for doing good. And in 4.14, he says some were insulted for the name of Christ. And here's the truth of the matter, that we may stay rooted in culture in the right ways. We may draw only those lines that need to be drawn. We may stay humble and gracious and kind to those with whom we disagree. But at some point, our unwillingness to join in sin... And our single-minded devotion to Jesus will become an offense. When we refuse to join in sin, to those who are hard-hearted in their sin, that comes off as condemnation. And when we humbly declare our allegiance to the King of Kings, that is a threat to the idols of this age. And Jesus, to be sure, was able to eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. They welcomed him and sought him out. But those who were hardened in their sin rejected him. And sought to put him to death. And so we shouldn't seek to stick out in things that just don't matter, right? It's just weird. It's just being odd for the sake of being odd. And we shouldn't express or hold our faith with arrogance and rudeness. But even so, rejection will come. It came to Jesus who was fully human and fully humble. But he came to his own and his own did not receive him. So what is the cause of our rejection? Sometimes, as we seek to humbly follow Jesus, it is our good deeds and our good confession themselves that provoke the anger of those around us. If you're just being a jerk, right, you need to apologize and demonstrate the gospel through your apology. And if you're just being different for the sake of being different, you need to think about the words of Paul and humble yourself and become all things to all people, seeking not to put up any barrier between those around you and the gospel, except the gospel itself. 
But if you are faithful and rejected, then what? Well, the cause of our rejection will be, at times, that our good, our, our good works and our good confession. Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe, maybe, I mean, maybe your relationship with those around you is good. Your witness is strong. No one's rejecting you for the sake of the gospel, and that's great. Jesus says in John fifteen twenty, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And so we should be, get ready. We should be prepared and not be surprised. So how do we get ready? And that brings us to the second point. Our preparation for rejection is found in community. Uh, my friends in high school were the misfits. Uh, we, we weren't the jocks, and we weren't the preppy kids, and we weren't the cool kids. There were lots of things that we weren't. Uh, but what held us together is that we were the misfits. And yet we, we needed community. Fragile as its basis may have been, we needed that community. Christians are misfits. That's why Hebrews 11.13 calls us strangers and exiles. We don't fit in the present age. And now to be sure, what holds us together is not that we don't fit in the world. What holds us together is that we belong to Christ. But as Christ's misfits, we need community. And all the more as we are rejected by the communities of this age, we need one another. And this is why Peter begins where he does uh, in this passage this morning. Peter has been addressing various groups in the churches of modern Turkey. And starting in 2.13, he addressed citizens and then servants and then wives and then husbands. But now in verse 8, he addresses everyone. He says, finally, all of you. And in talking to people who are facing persecution from the outside, he begins by addressing their relationships on the inside, as it were, in verse 8. He says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now, all the words that Peter uses there are meant to encourage close-knit fellowship among the Christian community. By unity of mind, Peter is not simply uh, meaning that they ought to agree, but that they ought to have a common purpose. It's the same word Paul uses in Philippians 2, where also Paul and Peter then both are saying they want Christians to lay aside their own agenda and share common cause with one another. That's probably one of the, the most difficult things to do in a home, right? For each person to lay aside their personal preferences and be willing to put the other first even when it means sharing the bathroom, right? Even when it means uh, giving up the last piece of pizza or cake or whatever it is. We, Peter wants us to have, have unity of mind with one another. Not only that, Peter wants us to sympathize. As Paul puts it, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. Uh, that word derives sympathy, derives from two words which when taken literally mean to suffer with. Paul wants, Peter wants us to be willing to suffer with one another so that if you hurt, I hurt. And cause us to brotherly love, to treat each other in the body as family and to have a tender heart. He wants us to have a soft spot for one another in this room. And finally, to have a humble mind, meaning we, we don't think too highly of ourselves, but we have a willingness to put others first. Now, I think you can see, right, the import of the whole of of that list of things Peter calls us to. Peter wants us to face our troubles together and not alone. 
And it's true that Jesus is with us in our trials. He's given us his spirit for that purpose. But one of the ways that Jesus manifests his presence to us in trouble is through his body, the church. Christians should never have to face troubles alone. And can I say something that, that may at first sound self-serving? It, it isn't meant to be self-serving, just realistic. Uh, when I say that Christians should never have to face troubles alone, I don't mean because they can always go to their pastor. Now, I, I, I think most of you know that, that I would love to be there for everyone in this room. But the reality is, I can't be. I just can't physically be there for every single person all the time. But thankfully, God has not just given you a pastor, and he's not just given you elders. He has given each of us the body, the whole body of Christ. And that means the people around you right now, the people sitting next to you in your row or the people in front of you or behind you. And if you're going to face trials, especially if you're going to face social rejection, you need to know them, the people around you to have unity of mind with them, to love them as brothers and sisters, to have a soft spot for them and a humble mind so that their needs come before your own. And you need to cultivate those kinds of relationships now so that when troubles come and you are rejected by the communities of this age, you can rest in the community of the church. So the cause of our rejection as, as Christians ought to be our doing good, our good confession. Our pre preparation for rejection is found in community as we live with one another and draw near to one another. Our temptation in rejection is to respond in kind or in fear. Now, uh, I don't like rejection, although I guess no one likes rejection, right? Uh, but when I feel rejected... I feel hurt. And when I feel hurt, my tendency is to strike back. God acknowledges that as a universal human tendency because repeatedly throughout Scripture, God says uh, things like he says in verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. God has to keep reminding his people of that fact. So Paul kind of uh, riffs on this in Romans 12. He says, Repay no one evil for evil, and never avenge yourselves, and do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so there's this tendency that we have to react, to respond. When we're wronged, when we're insulted, whether it's, it's big or small, we tend to react. And yet there's another tendency that... that is even more universal, if that's possible, if you can have something that's universal and then something that's more universal. And that's the tendency to fear. Peter says to those who face rejection, to those who face slander and reviling, according to verse 16, he says in verse 14, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And why does he have to say this? Because we are perpetually tempted to fear. Especially when people are working against us, especially when something bad happens to us, and it's not just happening, but someone's doing it, our, our temptation is to be afraid. And Peter's advice is not unique to him, right? He's actually echoing here Isaiah 8. He's already quoted Isaiah 8, verse 14, uh, when he referred to Christ as a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. But here he refer refers to verses 11 to 12 in Isaiah 8, which say, for the Lord 
Isaiah says, For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. Now, we'll actually come back to Isaiah 8 next week, and and it maybe will become more clear why Peter is quoting these verses. But for now, just note that the temptation to fear what everyone else fears is there. Isaiah speaks about it. Peter speaks about it, meaning our our view of life is not not to go beyond our our immediate circumstances. Uh, If our circumstances are troubling, well, then I'm troubled. If uh, if, uh, something in my circumstances is scary, well, then I'm afraid because my eyes don't see beyond the immediacy of my situation. When we do this, we walk just like everybody else, those who don't know that, that God is there. And we act as if he's not there when we are living in fear. Now, at this point, I just want you to ask yourself, right, when, when am I tempted to respond in these ways, either in kind, right, returning evil for evil, or in fear? When am I insulted? When am I, uh, uh, when, when I am insulted or rejected or spoken against, is my temptation to respond in kind or in fear, or, or more likely a little bit of both? Am I afraid of rejection? Or am I just angry about it? And why? Uh, What's behind that fear? What's behind that anger? Why do I need the acceptance and approval of others? What is that speaking to in my soul? So the cause of rejection as Christians is we, we ought to be doing good and confessing Christ. Our preparation for rejection is found in community as we live with one another and draw near to one another. But our temptation in rejection is to respond in kind or in fear. This brings us to the fourth point, the principle that we need to apply when we're rejected or what we need to remember in the midst of rejection, that blessing comes through rejection. Now, that hopefully seems counterintuitive, right? Because uh, blessing and rejection are opposites. But in God's sort of upside-down kingdom, blessings are always come through rejection, as sure as salvation always comes through judgment. There are at least three aspects to this, and I'll give you the the most foundational first and the most important first. Uh, The first is that blessing comes through the rejection of Christ. See, we are accepted by the Father because He was rejected. This is the gospel. God the Son, knowing perfect communion with His Father in the Spirit from eternity, comes into the world to do for us what we could not do. And fully God, He becomes as well fully human, and yet unlike us, He's perfect in every way, sinless, righteous, and good. He lives out communion with the Father on earth perfectly, knowing the Father's love, knowing the Father's acceptance. But he comes to his own, and his own do not receive him. His family doesn't understand him. His his Jewish community rejects him. The religious leaders are jealous of him. The priests and Sadducees seek to put him to death. One of his followers betrays him. The rest of his followers, his closest friends, flee when he is arrested. He is rejected by everyone. But that's not the worst part. He agonizes in Gethsemane, knowing that he will have to drink the cup, the cup of his father's wrath. And then he goes to the cross and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment he is forsaken. Forsaken for us. Rejected in our place. 
but rejected that we might be accepted. And on the third day, Jesus is raised from the dead. The Father, having approved of the Son's sacrifice, he demonstrates that approval, rewards him with resurrection life. And the resurrection is the acceptance of Jesus by the Father, him demonstrating your work was good, your sacrifice was pleasing. And so the gospel is this, that if we believe in Jesus, if we trust in his work, we are united to him, that his death for sin counts as our death for sin, that that his acceptance with the Father counts as our acceptance with the Father. We receive the blessing of acceptance through the rejection of Christ. And yet there's more than that, because as he was raised, we also receive the promise of resurrection. We are in a state of acceptance now. The Father, if we are his children in Christ, the Father loves us and accepts us as his own, but we will receive the fullness of of the blessings of our acceptance with the Father on the last day at the return of Christ. Blessing comes through rejection, that is, we are blessed through the rejection of Christ on the cross. And yet there's more than that. Second, we are accepted even as we are rejected, Um, meaning that though we are rejected by men, we are at the same time accepted by our Father. And in this, we are blessed. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before them. Our persecution or Rejection by men is a sign, Jesus says, of our acceptance by our Father. Jesus says our rejection by men, rather, or our our endurance of such rejection will mean reward for us in heaven. And so blessing comes through our rejection because as people insult us for Christ, it reminds us that we belong to Christ. And it reminds us of our acceptance in Him. The Father will, Jesus says, compensate us for our pain, right? Not not with financial rewards, but with the blessings of life in our Father's presence. That's the reward he talks about. Our dwelling in our Father's presence forever. Peter puts it like this in verses 13 and 14. He says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. And here's his point, right? No matter what trouble you endure in this life, no ultimate harm can come to you. You have the hope of the resurrection. The worst one can do to you is kill you, but Jesus has conquered death. And even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. No matter what others do to you, they cannot undo the blessing of God. They cannot undo your acceptance in Jesus. They cannot undo your hope of the resurrection. They cannot undo your reward in heaven. So truly, blessed are those who are persecuted for Christ's sake. Being united to Christ, they have acceptance, hope, and reward in heaven, which cannot be taken away, no matter what. And so blessing comes through the rejection of Christ, and blessing comes as we ourselves, even as we are rejected by men and yet accepted in Christ by our Father. But third, that that blessing comes through our response 
to rejection as well. Uh, We looked at the beginning of verse 9 already, but as a whole, verse 9 says this, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Now, as, as we respond to rejection by blessing those around us, right? as we, as we uh, do not uh, be overcome by evil, but as we seek to overcome evil with good, we experience the blessing of God, Peter says. Now, it's important to say, uh, just to, to clarify, um, what Peter is not saying. Uh, he's not saying that by responding well to suffering, you, you somehow earn the blessing of God in your life. That would be a works-based view of the Christian life. The idea that some people have that as long as I respond to suffering or as long as I respond to life properly, God owes me. Well, God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe me anything. God's blessings are not earned as we walk in obedience. But they are experienced as we walk in obedience. Uh, you may think that's, that's a word game, but I actually think that distinction is really important. We don't earn his blessing as we walk in obedience, but we do experience it. Uh, When we walk in sin, we experience God's discipline. When we walk in obedience, we experience his love and joy and peace. Uh, And it's not that he stops loving me when I sin. If I am in Christ, God's love for me cannot, cannot grow or shrink. He loves me in Christ. But when I persist in sin, it clouds my judgment, and I experience the Father's loving discipline which because of that clouded judgment, I often misinterpret as his rejection. Peter says, as we bless, we obtain a blessing. He supports that by quoting Psalm 34 in verses 10 to 12. And the the point from that psalm is, is not, if you do well, all your troubles will go away. The psalm was written by David about a time of trouble in his life. And his point is, God will see you through your troubles. God's presence in our difficulty is the blessing. And as we walk with God in obedience, we experience his walking with us in our trials. Peter has clearly taught that that our blessing is in Christ, right? Our inheritance is in him, our hope is in him, our joy is in him. But as we walk in obedience, responding to rejection as Christ did by blessing, we experience the Father's blessings more and more. We know his smile, we know his presence with us in our trials. So the cause of our rejection as Christians ought to be that we're doing good and and honoring Christ. Our preparation for rejection is found in community as we live with one another and grow close to one another. Our temptation is to respond in kind or in fear. What we need to remember in the midst of that is that blessing comes actually through or in the midst of rejection. Our rejection by others doesn't negate God's blessing in any way, but actually becomes the means by which we experience it as we draw close to Him in our trials. Finally, our response to rejection ought to be that we bless our enemies and honor Christ. We don't need to respond in kind or in fear because we have the acceptance of the Father and the hope of the resurrection. I'm not destroyed by the rejection of people because I have the acceptance of my God. So I don't have to be afraid and I don't have to lash out. My father is going to care for me in this so I can bless others and point them to Jesus. 
Peter has already said that the goal of our actions in the world is the glory of God. 1 Peter 2.12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, we, we want to point others to Jesus, even when we are rejected, insulted, spoken against. To have the strength to do that, we have to know that, that we are loved and accepted in Christ, that we have God's blessing in the rejection of Jesus, and that even in our rejection by others, God is at work. God is at work to bless us and glorify himself. And once we know that, we are free to bless. Right? I don't have to fight back. I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to protect my reputation. I can simply bless others as Christ has blessed me. I can pray for them. I can do good to them. I can demonstrate acceptance toward them. I can bless as I have been blessed. More than that, I can even begin to point people, verbally point them to Jesus. I'm going to come back to verse 15 next week, but let me just say brief, briefly that Peter wants us to, to fear Christ rather than men, right? to honor him as Lord, to honor him rather than the people who are rejecting us. And we do that as we give a reason for the hope that we have with gentleness toward those who ask, with respect or fear toward God. And so when others reject you, Know, know the blessing you have in Christ. Remember the cross and the resurrection. Know that God has rewards in heaven for his people, a life lived in the joy of the Father's presence. And that no matter what happens in this life, that can't be taken away from you. Know that as you walk in obedience, Jesus will walk with you in your trials. As you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. And in that knowledge, bless your enemies. And seek to honor Christ, pointing people to him as your only hope in trials and your only hope in life. There's no formula here, right, to get rid of your trials or to make all your troubles go away. But in the midst of your trials, God will be glorified, others will be blessed, and you will know the acceptance of your Father in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that as we face trials and troubles and difficulty, that we, that we would know that our acceptance with you is in Jesus. And that no matter what we face, uh, that, that, that cannot be taken away from us. Uh, we thank you for uh, the gift of your love in your Son. Help us to know that, uh, to believe that, to rest in that, to rejoice in that always. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.